Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. It is summertime, and we have our full panel, and that means Jorna Taylor, nonprofit consultant, is here with us. Jorna, how you doing? Uh, good morning, everyone. I have that summertime song by the Fresh Prince, uh, DJ oh. Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince through my head. Going way back there. That's great. And uh, Robert is uh, a fan of the 80s. Uh, <laughs> Robert Craig, our executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert, do you have a favorite 80s song that uh, this bright sunny day is making you recall? Uh, none that immediately occurs to me, but I'll <laughs> let you know if the podcast proceeds. I was going to say, we'll look forward to that in the furlough since uh, it is your favorite section. But before we get to the furlough, we have a number of things we're going to talk about. I think as everybody knows, we like to focus on state-level politics as a uh, statewide organization. And I think the big issue this week, state-level politics-wise, is that nomination papers for all the candidates running for office this fall, uh, that would be including the you know, United States Senate, Congress, but in particular, the state legislature had to have their nomination papers in yesterday, and that would be Wednesday, because folks know we record Thursday morning. And so you got to get your papers in, and if you don't, you're not eligible. Uh, and so the race is on. Jorna, uh, let's talk a little bit about first the Congre Congress race, in, in, in particular the 8th. The 8th. So I want to let folks know what the 8th is. The 8th is the Green Bay area, northeastern Wisconsin, Appleton, moving up through Door County. Jorna's Door County. Neck of the woods. Oh, so, yeah. So, Jorna, this is your home home turf, and uh, it's going to be a really, really critical race. So tell, give us a little bit more on well, this. Well, let's be very clear. I was born and raised in Heartland, Wisconsin, another uh, well, bastion of progressivism. But you're up there all the but time now. But now, Door County, where my folks live. Um, so Tom Nelson, who is the... Um, Outagamie County executive and is a really great guy is running on the as the Democrat for Congress up in the 8th and he's got you know a host of Republic there is a Republican primary on August 9th uh, this is going to be in my opinion so this is the Jorna um, political forecasting of June 2nd here. that's why you're here Jorna <laughs> uh, that I think that this is actually a um, a really great shot for a take back for Democrats in Wisconsin I think it is our district I think it has been trending that way I think that we have a phenomenally solid candidate and I think that people nationally are really going to take notice of this so we've got to support this race from you know all the way down the ticket to really take back the northeastern part of the state so before Robert before we get your comments uh, just so folks know, you mentioned Take Back. This is the district that Representative Kagan, Steve Kagan, mm -hmm. Dr. Kagan, used to hold. Uh, it, it's one that tends to lean Republican. And another interesting thing that our listeners should understand about this district is that this whole region, Green Bay area, Outagamie area, has some of the highest levels of independent or swing voters who can swing back election from election or candidate from candidate. And that's why a lot of money gets spent up here. Um, and that's why this one's uh, winnable for someone like Tom Nelson. Well, and it's overlaid this year, and, and is every year, but in particular this year with a lot of targeted state Senate and state, um, state assembly races that have, like you're saying, that gone back and forth. 
forth over the years, but that are winnable for Democrats, that Democrats either hold or are these swing districts, where it will be interesting to see how somebody like a Donald Trump impacts the um, the rest of the ticket for these independent voters who might be a little bit afraid of his orangeness. Robert. Who could be afraid of his orangeness? <laughs> I, I just don't Robert know. Loves no. coming there's going to there's gonna be a wall between Washington Island and Door County. <laughs> As we were, you know, his orangeness just uh, yesterday on the campaign trail was attacking those who have attacked Trump University. Oh, I can't and saying These are bad, <laughs> bad people. How not, dare they say this about a fine institution of higher learning like Trump University? Let me University. summarize. Not good. <laughs> but let me. Uh, let me just congratulate all the progressives who are running for office. Uh, this is what we need in our democracy, people willing to stand up and, st and step forward and uh, try to fight for values and change our state and move it forward. So that's great, uh, win or lose. And that's the problem we've had to some extent with Democrats. We kind of like uh, ignore anyone who loses. I think actually participating in trying to change things and trying to crazy, uh, use elections to have a real debate is a very important thing for a citizen and a leader to do. And so I want to compliment everyone, whether they win or lose. And now we, as those who aren't running, at least at this table, and probably some podcast listeners are running, but not all of them, now it's our duty to, to participate in democracy and participate in these elections and, and help drive issues and, uh, forward so that these elections actually get related to governing, which, of course, isn't doing as well right now as far as the relation between what the people want and governing, though I was glad, I know we'll get to it later, Matt, glad to see that Governor Walker is committed to openness and transparency in government, as was stated this week. <laughs> all right, all right. So so any particular thoughts about the 8th Congressional before we... I, I do want to spend some time talking about the legislature a little it, bit. It's a swingy district, especially in a presidential election, so this is the time to run for it. Then the trick would be to hold on to it yeah. in 18, which is another long-term problem we have. We need to smooth out voter participation so that Democrats aren't swamped by Republicans in off years, uh, and that's why we have the, the kind of governor we've had of late. Uh, but this is a great opportunity, and... It also looks like the flying monkey right may be representing the other side, uh, the Republicans in this in this particular race, which, of course, uh, makes it very possible not only to win Democrats, but to win all of those independent swing voters that the region is famous for. So insulting to the flying monkeys. <laughs> I am unfair to the flying monkeys. <laughs> you really <right>? are. <laughs> so the Senate and the Assembly are up. Now, every Assembly candidate is up every two years. Uh, and then every four years, you're up in the Senate. And so half of the Senate seats are up this year. Um, I want to talk in particular, let's start with the Senate. Um, it's interesting that I think the difficult situation in, that the Democrats face, particularly in the Senate, is during a presidential year, we don't have up seats that a lot of seats that are winnable. We have actually some of our more, most challenging seats uh, after the gerrymandered redistricting. And of course, gerrymandering defines all of this. Uh, but uh, the 18th, which is uh, the basically you could say the Oshkosh, um, goes down to Fond du Lac and west, those uh, sort of west of the west of those areas, those cities, is really the only really, truly a winnable seat. There's other seats that are winnable. I don't want to say none of them are, but they're sort of set up and structured in a way where everything would have to go right, massive landslide in order for uh, a number of those seats to come in play. But want to get your thoughts, Jorna, start with you on the Senate and the 18th in particular, but then any other 
uh, and then and then let's talk about the assembly actually a little bit because there's after that because there's actually probably more room for growth because we're so far behind and there's more seats that are potentially winnable. Jorna? Well, I think, you know, this will be what our third election with an early primary date in August. Yeah. Our third. I think you're right. So it's August 9th, um, you know, which is a, so we've got a lot of races across the board in the state legislature that are either open seats or that have primaries going on. And this early August primary is, is tough. So, I think it's going to be really imperative that some of these candidates step up their game um, now versus the sort of last few weeks of July because people aren't tuned in. While on the flip side, um, our September primary that we used to have was really this tough sprint then yeah. to the end. It was, you know, kind of everything on the, f- um, you know, pedal to the metal. This this makes it really important to start identifying some of these, you know, hardcore voters that may be motivated or not hardcore voters, these swing voters that might be motivated by a local primary in their area. Um, For example, one of these state Senate primaries in Milwaukee may bring out folks that then we need to capture to make sure that they turn out then in November. So I think that there's going to be a lot of that. I also think that we have a lot of great candidates up and down the Senate and Assembly in all of these races. There are a lot more Assembly races on the board this year than I can remember in a long time where I'm not looking at it going, yeah, we can say those are all targets right now, but they really aren't. Um, And they're in places in western Wisconsin and in southwestern Wisconsin and in the northeast where we haven't focused as much – Traditionally, so I think it's gonna. I think it's going to be helpful for people like Russ Feingold, for people like Tom Nelson, if we invest heavily in the state senate and state assembly races. Yeah, for example, Mandy Wright is a is yep. a great example in the Wausau area. It used to be a Democratic seat. In fact, Mandy obviously held it and lost very narrowly in the off year election. Um, critical, critical race. Mandy's a strong supporter of Citizen Action. In fact, last week we were just talking about the prescription drug. Uh, uh, legislation that we're moving, and Mandy was ex- instrumental in helping support that. Uh, important seats like that in Eau Claire, for example, we have mm-hmm. the 68th, w- which is really sort of east of Eau Claire, and Howard White is running in that race uh, against Bernier. Bernier, who's a charmer. Right. I mean, Bernier <laughs> is uh, many of the things we talk about on this podcast related to democracy, uh, you know, elections and education, and we're going to get to education. <laughs> She's the chair of those committees, right? And, you know, is is responsible for a lot of the stuff that's all stuck in the <laughs> she, courts. She quite hates frankly. education. She hates elections. She yeah. can't be challenged on her education views. She doesn't want to have that conversation. I mean, she, there's a number. Stop whining about the things, Jorna. You're supposed <laughs> yeah. to accept things as they are. Sorry, for the for listeners, just to understand, that's not Robert. That's what uh, Representative Bernier said to school board members yeah. who dared to complain about the lack of school funding. Yes, yes, yeah. school funding, exactly. But there's a number of races like these. Yeah that are winnable and especially in a presidential year. So I think it's important, mm-hmm. you know, in spite of the redistricting and the gerrymandering that definitely does define and make all of this a little bit harder. We can't use that as an excuse not to get out there and work hard because there are tons of opportunities mm-hmm. all throughout the state. Robert? Yes, there's an embarrassment of riches throughout the state. <laughs> 
and there will soon be full progressive control of the legislature. All right. That's Robert's no. 2016 prediction. <laughs> yes. We're looking for progress here. Obviously, we know that we still have a gerrymandered set of districts, despite there being more opportunities than usual. There's still a lot more than there ought to be uh, if we had a fair, uh, fair districts. Uh, so we need to pick up as much as we possibly can because there's really a two-track strategy here. That is the lawsuit uh, to find these districts unconstitutional, but then winning enough uh, if that doesn't happen, if the courts again defer to corruption in, in the legislature, uh, to then pick up enough seats in order to hold either the governorship or at least one of the two houses of the legislature for the next redistricting. So we have to pursue both strategies right now, and this is critical. So even if we don't get a majority in either house this cycle, we have to pick up a lot of seats this cycle or it'll be a position for the next cycle and the next. The one thing that I will say about this year that is certainly different than in past cycles that I've worked in Wisconsin, um, I do recall working for Citizen Action back I during the healthcare referenda years, and our Democratic candidates were told to run away from things like health care and to not attend town halls that were hosted by Citizen Action and, you know, were, were told to stay away from things that might not get them elected with more moderate voters. Um, and clearly that worked real, real well for them, as we can see. And so I don't see that that same trend in that, you know, actually a lot of these candidates are running on some really progressive issues in some areas that, you know, may not have an overwhelming progressive base. So that makes me happy. At least we're making some progress there. And we're getting sort of better direction from the top of the ticket. So Senator Feingold is more than happy to hang out with us all over the state. So that <laughs> sets, a, sets a good... Did uh, you hang out with Senator Feingold? Well, it's a very business kind yes. of. Uh, it's a very, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, like it's a very productive kind of hangout. Yes, but but nonetheless, <laughs> a Robert kind of hangout wonks. <laughs> so we're going to continue to talk a lot about these elections during the summer, since the legislature isn't in session. I'm sure there could be a special session to do something terrible. to wreck Wisconsin. Well, I mean, wonderful. <laughs> yes, forward. So we want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about your friend, Scott Walker, Robert, that you mentioned earlier. And in particular, we need to talk about what happened late last week, and that was... It's not embarrassing at all for the governor. Not at all. Um, but look, basically a judge <laughs> ordered Governor Walker that he needed to release emails that showed that he was behind wanting to simplify the... No, he wasn't. <laughs> The, the basic principles and you know for the state university the whole idea of the wisconsin idea that he attempted to suggest was just a drafting error jorna you're our lead education scholar and lawyer and it's a little like <laughs> that like the little error in rosemary woods tapes of the nixon white house isn't it <laughs> matt yes matt Yes, I'm going to politifact you on this. Oh, boy. Politifact says you're you're lying. Your pants are on fire. <laughs> Scott Walker did nothing wrong. No. Does so politifact polit reach that conclusion? Politifact yet? actually. Jordan is politifact. Okay. Yes. Um, Thank you. Scott Walker lied. And the shock heard around the world was astounding. Oh, wait. We don't actually have video on the podcast. You can't see my shocked face. Um, it, look, it's very clear that Scott Walker got busted big time. He you know, lied the first time when he got caught and said, oh, it was this drafting error. And then he fought to not have the records be released that shows that mm, actually, yeah, he lied and he wanted to change the Wisconsin idea. You know, I 
I worked, we worked really hard on the Save the Wisconsin idea and mobilized citizens and university professors and students and business owners all around to come and testify at the joint finance hearings, just what this world-class institution of the 26 campuses of the UW system bring to our state and how they help fight the brain drain that, you know, plagues Wisconsin and how investments in the university system actually bring more money into the state of Wisconsin. And yet Scott Walker's Wisconsin would take away all of those hard-earned gains and doesn't respect the, you know, the free exchange of ideas. Shocking, I know. And he continues to lie. So there's a there's a line in a Cap Times editorial this week that asks, um, you know, if he lied about this, what else has he lied about? I'm going to bet you it's a lot. Yeah, well, this ain't nothing. Uh, this was a very significant issue and gets to, as you mentioned, the core of what it means to be from Wisconsin and the progressive tradition our university systems represent, Robert? I've probably been too sarcastic during this podcast so far. So That's my role usually, yes, Robert. Yes, yes. So let, so let me just say that, that once upon a time, a state, uh, a state of, of working people and people struggling to, 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 to build the American dream, decide to create a great university, and only to do that but to connect it to governing and to solving the state's problems and creating a, a, a just and as society and as ideal society as humans can create. And that was in the Wisconsin idea, and it's symbolized by the connection in State Street between the university and the state capital. Now, fast forward, we have a governor who literally does not want the connection between learning and thought and the best research and policy because it's not politically convenient for him. And so it was not an accident that he tried to attack the Wisconsin idea. He doesn't believe in it. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, shopkeepers and industrial workers and farmers and this millions of working people put their nickels and dimes together for generations to create this system. And this one arrogant and selfish and, and opportunistic man at the, at the crest of hopefully a right-wing movement that has reached its crest and is going to begin to recede, decided to just had such arrogance that he directed, the, the, uh, literally directed the drafters to rewrite the Wisconsin idea to make the university into some sort of program, essentially, to create qualified workers for his corporate benefactors, period, with no other broader vision. And then he lied about it. Then he lied about it. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. <laughs> So, and then he didn't uh, appeal the lawsuit because he believes in transparent and open government. No, because he knows that he lied. I'm quoting his spokesperson. I know. So, of <laughs> course, given that this was a, probably a wonderful weekend for him, he comes out announcing this week that he he might be for increasing funding to the UW system. So, <laughs> Sal, better, Jorna. Oh, absolutely. He won't say how, but they're looking at that. And they'll they're, probably they're gonna, announce something look at of some, some kind stuff. before the budget. You know. I'm, I'm sure that in an election year, we can release some sort of you know paltry um, pat on the back for the uh, university, like we're going to buy them a park or something. Well, since he wanted to turn the university into a public authority, the structure that was also used for his greatest success, <gasps> WEDEC. Yes, maybe they could merge the two. You know. Move the WEDEC leadership over to run the university. Oh my God. So we are going to switch gears. <laughs> Wait till that comes true, Robert. We are going to be a nice. year from now, we're going to be oh, done. Holy shit. You heard it here, folks. So, Robert, we're going to switch gears. I want you to tell us a little bit about the, 
media conference that Citizen Action is having today. This would be Thursday, so by the time you listen to it, it happened yesterday, uh, in Eau Claire, uh, with the Eau Claire Cooperative, around payday loans. And um, payday loans has been an issue, particularly these astronomical rates that people... It's basically loan sharking, let's let's be clear. Um, this issue just doesn't seem to go away, even though it seems so fundamentally simple uh, about what ought to be done and you know, in terms of protecting consumers, Robert. Yeah, and let me put this in an even broader perspective because we when we only make the frame uh, people the working poor, low income people who need to to essentially go to go to uh, legalize loan sharks in order to get loans, we don't have a broader perspective on what's going on in the economy. Not only do we have a great reduction in wages in Wisconsin and nationally. We've had in Wisconsin, we've had a 15% real reduction in wages since the year 2000, and we're creating mostly poverty wage jobs now under Governor Walker. Uh, but finance capital, Wall Street, and this is why Bernie going after Wall Street has such resonance, has tried to find every single possible way to make money. And so it wasn't just the housing bubble. It wasn't just uh, basically expropriating a lot of workers, quarter of workers, 401ks, for example, because of the way the law is set up. It's Wall Street that is behind the payday loan industry. Absolutely. So they figure we can both drive wages down then take advantage of that. And they have been uh, just crying bloody murder, trying to buy off various community representatives as much as their money can buy, et cetera, in order to fight this. All it essentially says is, that you can't loan people money that you know they can't pay back. Yep. And it has to be structured in a way they can pay off the principal. And you see that the dirty little secret is the payday loan industry doesn't want to help people who could never pay it back ever. What they want is they want that sweet spot of people who can pay it back enough to pay a lot of interest but not pay it back enough to stop the loan or not take another right. short-term loan. So it's that group. So these are people who are making money but not enough money to get out of the trap, and they're mad as heck that the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, something that I'm sure a President Trump would repeal. This is the uh, agency that Elizabeth Warren invented, right, and might have been the first head of until she wasn't. Um, that they're put, putting in very common sense regulation. It doesn't even cap the interest rate. So this is this is very uh, reasonable, moderate reform. Not that I think it's crazy to cap the interest rate, but there's more to be done. But the fact that it's so controversial tells you what extent these profit-making industries, finance industries, will go to in order to continue to to just take a disproportionate share of wealth in our society and hoard it for themselves. So. And we're excited. We're going to keep working on this. Yep. We're, we're, we're involved with Wisperg and with Jonah, the Wisdom Affiliate in Eau Claire, and others in the event in Eau Claire. Wisperg's done a very good job on this issue. Um, our new national network that we helped found of, of grassroots organizations, People's Action, is at the unveiling in Kansas City and is very involved with this across the country. So we will be telling you more about this as we go forward. Uh, but there will, of course, be attempt to, uh, a strong attempt to override this, just like there's going to be an attempt to override Governor Walker, uh, not Governor Walker, of course not, President Obama's overtime regulation that's going to give uh, eight to $10,000 payroll raises to, to, uh, to at least 4 million, up to 12 million Americans. You, you, you mentioned uh, Trump, and, and then you also mentioned Elizabeth Warren, and I just can't, you know, you know what he's calling her now, Goofy Elizabeth Warren. So, like, he never just says Elizabeth Warren, he now says Goofy Elizabeth Warren, just like it's corrupt Hillary Clinton. The guy is unbelievable. So we are, we're we're going to talk a little bit more about Trump later in the podcast when we get to our Paul Ryan watch. It's, it's funny how those 
two seem inseparable. I just don't think she's going to melt away the way Rubio did on oh. these sorts of insults. Oh, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm laying the preview as someone who listens. We've talked about Trumpcast on this uh, podcast. If you're not paying attention to Trump's tweets, it's the most important thing that you can follow right now to sort of understand what Trump's up to. So I, that, by the way, that's uh, my recommendation. I think the best anecdote to Trump is strong women who are going to uh, shred him ultimately. So I want to talk a little bit before we get to the Paul Ryan watch about the, the data that came out this week, the survey, very extensive survey uh, done by the Commonwealth Fund that found folks who are on the Affordable Care uh, the Affordable Care Act exchanges, marketplaces, and have health care now through Obamacare are very happy. In fact, over 70% are either satisfied or very satisfied that they were not only had coverage, but it worked for them when they had to access it. And I think the most important number is over 60% of these folks also said that they would not have had access to health coverage otherwise. I think this is huge, uh, especially given the continued attack we're seeing on the law uh, and going to continue to see as this election heats up. Jorna? Uh, so usually we use the hashtag thanks Obama sarcastically tongue in cheek, but this time hashtag thanks Obama yeah. because this wouldn't happen without him. So all these happy people who now have health insurance that is working for them. Thank you, Obama. Let me, let me return to my sarcastic frame. Wow. I, I am stunned that people who faced discrimination and were denied coverage, right? People who don't have good insurance at work, people with pre-existing conditions, right? People who are, who are independent contractors or farmers, farmers or anyone who doesn't have a, a, a large employer to provide good coverage for them and are not yet Medicare eligible, that they would be satisfied of having somewhere to go no matter what to get coverage and get uh, tax, uh, tax benefits to help afford it. Uh, but... You know, we live in a never-never world. Apparently, the public is demanding a return to discrimination, according to the right, and it doesn't matter what these facts... In fact, these are the kind of facts that getting rid of the Wisconsin idea might help prevent us from hearing. Right? Don't you think? Yeah, no, it makes yeah. perfect sense. I know this particular research didn't come from the UW, but that's exactly the kind of thing these universities do. Well, we should get rid of them, because, again, they're supporting this, you know, socialist president... And his priorities. Kenyan socialist. Kenyan, non-citizen Kenyan remember they Remember, the Republican Party is nominating a birther, just to oh remember that. God. So this is, not, this is not gratuitous, right? I don't believe his orangeness has ever taken that back, has he? I, I don't think so. Yes. Yeah, and I want to mention uh, Dave Zwiefel's article he wrote about this, uh, this whole issue Republicans have with facts in Obamacare. Uh, We'll put a link to that. It's worth reading. With that, Jorna, we got to talk about our friend Paul Ryan. So, yes. So Paul Ryan, he just can't stay out of the news. Well, can't. Big, big news this week is uh, he's back in the crosshairs of his buddy Donald Trump, or shall we say Donald Trump's brown-shirted friends. Uh, in in particular, we're talking about Carl. Paladino, I believe I'm if I'm pronouncing it. He's a Buffalo businessman and outstanding also, citizen, yeah, I'm sure. Of course. And uh basically he's in charge. He's Donald Trump's leader, chairman in uh, New York, and he essentially uh <laughs> he said that uh, Paul Ryan was a misguided yellow bellied coward. Do you think Jorna. he attended Trump University? Yellow no, bellied <laughs> Well, certainly he attempt, oh, attended Trump God. a rhetorical university, Jorna. 
A yellow belly coward. I love it. I think this is phenomenal. Um, I would actually say that maybe as the leader, there's 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 some truth and there's some not truth in it. Uh, but before before we get to that part, I would like to say that you know who else probably thinks that Paul Ryan is a yellow bellied coward. I have a feeling it's a motorcycle driving Republican from the. Uh what district is Paul first Ryan again? The first congressional district. district. My, my tattooed friend you're, you're, who is leading the truth resurrection, Paul Nalen. Paul Nalen. I, you know, Paul Nalen should just, like, repeat all of this he stuff. He should, because he wants to arm wrestle Paul Ryan. And so far, Paul has not taken him up on the arm wrestling challenge. Um, what I what I will say, though, is a yellow belly coward, you know, this is, this is words out of Donald Trump's mouth. <laughs> so we can pretend like it came out of his co-chair's mouth because... You know, physically it did, but this is just par for the course of folks who support Donald Trump, and I think it is another example of how the Republicans continue to actually um, be as divisive internally as you know as they have been through this entire primary season. I'm kind of you know, the listeners know I'm interested in metaphors, so I'm wondering what the yellow-bellied coward, what that, what the referent is. I know it's a, I'm it's a cliche. I'm glad you brought this up, Robert. And Thank if you, you don't know, Matt, we could ask podcast listeners. I'd be interested to know what the origin of yellow-bellied coward is. Yeah, if you know, Matt, or you we know, have to rely I, upon the listeners. I don't. Uh, I'm sure it is not good to tell us. I do like his previous statements uh, that apparently he told the whole New York delegation of Republicans they didn't support Trump. It'd be the end of their pathetic careers. <laughs> That's that's a little better discourse. Well, uh, yes, in that they because I, I don't think I'll dispute that many of their cur- public careers are probably pathetic. But pathetic <laughs> I mean, well, eh. well, look. I, part of the reason I wanted to talk about this is, I, look, I like to be very concerned about Donald Trump and what I view as very fascist kind of. Um, tendencies yeah brown shirt well brown shirt right but look here's the thing right i i think he's very dangerous and it's this this is beyond like policy this is this is about like this kind of bullying the sense that if you're shit you could even be in the majority and we might round you up and you know it's it's ridiculous but this this guy represents it if you're not falling in line with trump right like you're you're in trouble right like to me, it's extraordinarily dangerous. It's part of what Trump represents. I think it's why this election is so critical. Don't be fooled by whatever you might hear from Donald Trump policy-wise that might sound good, particularly around trade or some issue that maybe he scratches for you because that that sort of authoritarian streak is what's fundamentally flawed and why uh, we need to defeat him this fall. So with that... Yeah. Any other and, thoughts, Robert? Well, I think you make a good point that we should t- we should not just the, the media tends to say this stuff is just bad public spirit. It's not civil, and that doesn't reflect anything deeper, right? That it's just it's just he could just use different language to just say that he disagrees. This right? language is him a definitely chose coward, right? So, but if there's something deeper going on with the patri- uh, patriarchal male, the alpha male, the silverback, and that you must follow the silverback or else. Right, then that has deeper implications, mm-hmm. and, and that's the question. And the media's got trouble with this because a lot of the media, not all of it, there's some great reporters, but a lot of the media thinks that balance means this side said this, this said this side said right. this. 
But the problem is, is that I, I won't throw out specific examples, but most of the evil in world history fill in the blank. On the one hand, on the other hand, try that. On the other hand, defenders of slavery. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? So eventually reporters actually have to exercise some judgment right. in reporting what's actually going on. And again, this is why I think it's important that people will get involved in this election. So I'm hoping we'll talk more about this later on, but uh, why it's important we get out and have civil conversations with folks who are failing to like make the connection to this. So anyways, with that, Jorna, what are you doing this weekend? Uh, this weekend, I will be attending the State Democratic Party Convention, where I am hoping that there will be no um, raucous behavior, uh, chair-throwing, or otherwise inappropriate Democratic behavior. Yeah, let's hope for some really <laughs> uh, wild, uh, uh, good uh, exchanges around policy issue in the future and where we need to go. Uh, it's certainly important. Robert, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I'm unfortunately not going to the fine convention, though Jorna's going to enjoy herself. Everyone should go say hi to Jorna at the convention. Um, but I have been appointed to the um, board of directors for In These Times magazine, which is a very good progressive magazine, uh, headquartered <laughs> in Chicago. And so I'm going down to the board dinner Saturday and the board meeting on Sunday. So... Uh, may involve that with, with bringing nephews down. That's still unclear to, to see their grandma, but we will see. That depends upon nephew schedules and the like. Well, Robert, congratulations. High Times is an excellent magazine. They are, you'll be a credit to the board. Brusky, don't make these <laughs> jokes. It's going to get... Oh, in, in these times. I'm so sorry. Sorry. Jo- become more and more this respectable, jo- but yeah. <laughs> Anyways, well, Robert, congratulations, actually. It's an excellent... Uh, Excellent magazine, and and they actually do a lot of good coverage of economic issues. So uh, congratulations on that. I will be attending the Dairyland Classic Friday night, which is Wisconsin's only big-time professional flat track race. So we'll be there, and then uh, Beaver Cycle on Saturday night. So so the Dem Party Convention made a mistake uh, it, scheduling it's, on it, top of it's the... Schedu- yeah, I, I'm, I, <laughs> I think I might be one of two people that this would cause a conflict with at the flat track track. So, so before we end, Matt, our yes. producer, Brian Wildridge, has sent me a text message nice. from across the studio here, and he has found the definition of yellow-bellied coward. Nice. Quote, yellow belly, a person born in the fens of Lincolnshire from the yellow sickly complexion of persons residing in marshy situations. So Paul Excellent. Ryan is a coward from the marsh who looks sick. Wow. Well, thank you, Brian. I think we have something that we can work as a title for the podcast. Yeah, we do. Thank you very much. (laughs) And with that, we want to, as always, thank Brian Wooldridge for making the podcast happen every week. We cannot do it without him. He puts a lot of time in making sure that we all sound eh, okay, I guess. (laughs) And with that, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.